0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: When police uncover the charred remains of Southern Ohio's most eligible bachelor.
3: It was pretty surreal because the fact that the body was so torched.
2: Lifelong residents of the quiet town of Lebanon will have to watch their step.
4: People are freaked out, maybe even looking over their shoulders.
2: The terrified community learns that their small town hides some big secrets.
5: Uh, One of those dark corners you get into when you look into people's lives. Troy was having an
2: affair. But the man with the darkest secret of all remains in the shadows.
6: We ran out of leads. We didn't have a whole lot else to go on
2: until the smoldering body of evidence reveals the smoking gun that points to the killer. I'm going to get you for this. Rest assured, I'm going to get you. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Comfortably situated on the outskirts of Cincinnati, Ohio, Lebanon seems worlds apart from its big city neighbor.
4: There's no comparison to Cincinnati. Cincinnati has your gangs, your guns, and your drugs. It's different worlds, but sometimes our worlds cross over.
2: With its quaint stores, whitewashed steeples, and historic sites, Lebanon's small-town charm is not lost on anyone who passes down their main street.
4: It's where you go for the Apple Festival, or you go get pumpkins in the fall, or you go up to the old stagecoach. But the lifeblood of Lebanon is its citizens. People in Lebanon are middle-class, hard-working Americans. Some of them have been there forever. After
2: graduating from nearby Deer Park High School, all-American golden boy Troy Timar knows there is no other place he'd rather live than in Ohio. Like most other Midwestern boys growing up, Troy is the apple of his mother's eye.
7: And he had many, many friends. He was a homecoming king, played football, and he was a senior captain. And we were very proud of that.
2: But Troy is not your typical big man on campus. His generous spirit and kindness outshine his mere physical accomplishments. He was very, very sincere.
7: If he met you once, and then the next time he saw you, he'd give you a hug and say, how you doing? When he asked how you're doing, he really meant, how are you?
2: There are many possible roads to success for this golden boy. But Troy decides to follow his passion, building things. When Troy goes off to college, he lays the foundation for a career in construction.
7: When Troy was in college up in Delaware, Ohio, he was a project manager and I was amazed that this company would trust him at such a young age.
2: After he graduates from college, Troy lands a job in construction. Hey.
7: Hey. He was been a project manager for a while, and he thought, well, if I have to do the bidding and all this other stuff, I might as well form my own company and be my own boss. In
2: 1995, Troy starts TMR Construction, and his first hire is older brother Jimmy. Before long, business is booming things are looking bright for Troy Timar. That is, until the morning of July 4, 1999, when the residents of Lebanon awake to fireworks of a whole different sort. Fifteen-year veteran Deputy Roger Barnes is nearing the end of an
3: uneventful
2: graveyard shift.
3: It was a slow, slow night, you know. I was working midnights on road patrol at the time.
2: At about four in the morning his radio crackles to life.
3: Passerby drove on Mason Morrow Road and observed the vehicle burning and called 911.
2: The flames from the wreckage soar 40 feet high.
3: With the flames as high as they were, uh, the fire should have only been burning 5, 10 minutes before it was dispatched.
2: As Deputy Barnes approaches the burning car, fire and rescue workers are already battling the
3: blaze. The flames were significant. I don't know if the car had exploded or if the gas tank had caught on fire, but I knew that something was, uh, something was adding to the fire.
2: After dousing the flames, firefighters make a bizarre discovery.
3: One of the fire units came up to me and said that there was a deer carcass in the trunk.
2: As Deputy Barnes takes a closer look, he finds that things aren't quite as they appear to be.
3: I realized that I was, it was a human, it was a deceased human being in the trunk. The body
2: is charred beyond recognition.
3: It was pretty surreal because the fact that the body was so torched, you know, the, the skin had, had peeled and burned. It's uh, something that's been ingrained in my mind ever since. My first thought was, oh crap, we have a crime scene.
2: Officer Barnes still has no idea who is in the trunk or how he got there. But something tells him it was no accident.
3: Pretty obvious that the body in the trunk didn't get there by himself.
2: At the Warren County Sheriff's Office, homicide detective Mark Worley gets the call. This Lebanon native has been putting away bad guys for more than a decade. And something about this case doesn't sit right.
6: Nobody really thought as much about it at first other than it was probably a stolen car that somebody had just dropped off in his field and set on fire. So uh, finding a body in the trunk uh, certainly called everybody by surprise.
2: Their first priority? Search the crime scene for evidence that might help identify the victim or killer.
6: We went to the vehicle, uh, looked inside. Uh, The car was uh, completely gutted from the intense fire. Uh, You couldn't make out a VIN. You couldn't make out anything on it.
2: Then, finally, a clue. We
6: started looking around the immediate area around the car uh, where we saw uh, a key, um, a a remote or a key fob. Um, A license plate was laying on the ground
2: and nearby the telltale sign of arson. You
6: could see uh, a burn area in the grass that was going from the car to the driveway. I and mean, that was consistent with some kind of accelerant being used.
2: And after a closer look, a dark story is coming into focus.
6: And once they extracted the body out of it, they determined there were two gunshot wounds. Um, it was a male. Um, he was shot once um, I believe in the chest, and once towards the back, uh, both rounds had a downward trajectory to him. This indicated to us that whoever the shooter was was standing outside
2: the vehicle. But with little shot of identifying the killer at this point, Worley focuses on the victim.
6: The license plate that was laying on the ground. We ran that registration, uh, and the vehicle came back to a Jimmy Timor.
2: Jimmy is Troy's brother and co-worker. We
6: thought it was a possibility that it could have been
2: Jimmy Timor in the trunk of the vehicle. With all signs pointing to Jimmy, investigators now have the painful task of notifying the Timor family.
7: They knocked on the door and they said, looking for Jimmy Timor that owns a 98 Ford Mustang. I said, oh, that's my son. Come on in.
6: She told us that she had just talked to Jimmy about an hour ago and it could not have been him.
2: It seems that the charred body in the trunk is someone other than the very much alive Jimmy Timar. So
6: now we're wondering, who do we have in this vehicle? It's obviously not Jimmy, so who
2: is it?
7: So I called Jimmy and I said that there is a detective here to um, talk to you about your car.
2: And what Jimmy tells police may be the key to solving the mystery of who is in the trunk. Mr. Timar told
6: us that he had loaned the car to his brother Troy uh, the night before. Troy's missing. Nobody had seen him since the night before. Near as we could tell, Jimmy was the last one that saw him at this point.
2: A few hours later, the coroner's report confirms the Timar family's worst fears. Through
6: the autopsy, they did uh, dental records and uh, later determined
2: um, who it was. The charred remains belonged to 30-year-old Troy Timar, and the inferno ravaged more than just Troy's body.
7: With that, it was like somebody hit me in the back of the legs with a baseball bat. Why? What well, was so bad that you not only murdered him, but you burned him beyond recognition? Why?
2: Why is the question on everyone's lips. But who would want the prom king dead? Warren County Sheriff's officers wonder if the answer lies in Troy's past. From the antique stores on Main Street to the construction sites on the outskirts of Lebanon, Ohio, the brutal murder of Troy Timor 48 hours earlier is the talk of the town. Reporter Deborah Dixon is the face of the local news, and she knows that Troy's death is far more than another top story.
4: It is not something that happens in that community, and it didn't make sense people were terrified.
2: Three days after Troy's death, the entire town turns out to mourn the loss of a local legend.
4: Troy represented a community. He was loved there. I don't know many people who have so many friends from high school that they keep hanging out with, but that's what Troy did. Troy's death
2: is a head-scratcher for Detective Mark Worley. Who would want to kill a man everyone admired and loved? He was well-liked
6: by his friends. He was close with his family. There was no uh, immediate hostilities that we found uh, anybody had towards him.
2: Detective Worley from the Warren County Sheriff's Office will have to depend on the old investigator's adage, if no one's a suspect, everyone's a suspect. So police hone in on the person closest to Troy, his brother, Jimmy.
6: We looked at Jimmy as a possible suspect, with it being his vehicle, and as far as we knew, maybe one of the last people to see Troy.
2: But Jimmy seems to be genuine in his grief and cooperates fully.
6: Jimmy's alibi was that he was with his girlfriend the whole night.
2: The girlfriend confirms his story, and it quickly becomes clear to detectives there was no bad blood between the brothers.
6: We determined that there was a close relationship between Jimmy and Troy. Troy's family
2: seems to be hunky-dory. But investigators learned that doesn't necessarily ring true in some other aspects of Troy's life.
6: One of the people that we looked at as a possible suspect uh, was a client of Troy's uh, doing some work together, and they had a falling out in their business.
2: Police learned that Troy had been in an ongoing dispute with one of his clients, John Zippler. The root of the problem? About $5,000. We've learned over a
6: period of time that financial crises are often motives for one party killing another. So we had to look at this real closely to determine um, how things were settled between them and where this client was at
2: the time of the murder. Detectives pay Zipler a visit. He claims that his deal with Troy went sour over the construction of a new house. There was hard feelings between them. The client didn't like Troy's work. The unsatisfied Zippler refused to pay Troy. Troy, in turn, took Zipler to court.
6: We spoke to uh, the attorneys that were involved. Uh, the
2: lawsuit was settled amicably. Zipler claims to have been out of town the night of the murder. To prove it, he takes a lie detector test and convinces police he's probably not their man. With Zippler in the clear, investigators look for other disgruntled business acquaintances. We looked at past
6: business associates uh, that Troy had. There was no uh, immediate hostilities that we found uh, anybody
2: had towards him. It's a letdown, but the cops are just scratching the surface. Everyone close to Troy knows the only other thing he loved more than work was women.
7: Troy had the way with women. He could wine them and dine them and just about have them eat them out of his hand.
2: Detectives make a list of all the women that Troy had been involved with over the last several years and zero in on the one who most recently got away, Terry Clendenin.
7: Troy was working in construction, and Terry was working in the office. He started dating her, and he said, you know, I could start my own company, and you could be my office manager. And that's how it started. Six months later,
2: the two lovebirds were living in the same nest, and everyone seemed just as enamored of her as Troy
7: made a very cute couple. She started to become part of her family.
2: But it wasn't long before the family began to see blemishes in Terry's perfect facade.
7: She was kind of manipulative about Troy. She would kind of watch if he had too much fun. She would kind of be whiny. I could see her pulling him back, pulling him back into a rut, which was not Troy.
2: But nothing could prepare Donna for what happened next. Terry seemed to stop at nothing to get what she wanted.
7: When I found out about Terry embezzling from Troy's friend, I was kind of shocked. It's hard to believe the, the woman that I trusted and loved would do that to my son.
2: So was Troy. But he stepped in and rescued his best girl.
7: Terry was not prosecuted
2: because Troy said he would pay the money. After being together for four years, the relationship takes a nasty turn.
6: There were several issues in their relationship that caused it to deteriorate. One issue that led to uh, the demise of the relationship. Terry had made some accusations of domestic violence. He said, Mom, I don't know
7: what I'm going to do, but I've been arrested for felonious assault. I said, Oh my gosh, Troy, what happened? He said, Terry accused me of hitting her. But it didn't take
2: long for police to get to the bottom of Terry's lies. It was determined
6: that she had poked herself uh, to where she'd drew blood and said she'd been thrown down the stairs. She'd filed a false police report. Troy was exonerated of the charge.
7: It was the last straw for Troy. No, we're done. He said, I'm going to break up with her. And he did, and she moved out.
2: When investigators bring Terry in for questioning,
7: she seems to be
2: quite the opposite of the conniving shrew who tried to frame Troy four months earlier.
6: When we talked to Terry, uh, we found her to be cooperative. And she was precise, uh, articulated in her answers to us. She was willing to help us in any way that
2: you know, she said she could help. Terry claims to have moved on with her life and never wished ill will on her ex after the breakup. Terry
6: was seeing somebody else And from what we could determine, Troy had kind of moved on with his life as well.
2: But according to Terry, the two were still friends. When detectives questioned Terry about her whereabouts the night of the murder, she readily admits she was with Troy the night he was killed.
6: She said that Troy had picked her up the night before, somewhere around 10 o'clock. They went to Lunkin Airport, they went to one of the local parks, and he had taken her back home somewhere around midnight.
2: And that was the last time that she saw him. Terry's father confirms that she came back around midnight, hours before Troy's car was set ablaze. She
6: had an alibi, and as far as she was with him, but after midnight, she was back at home, and she was there for the rest of the night.
2: And there's one last detail that has investigators questioning Terry's guilt. She was a lot
6: smaller in stature compared to Troy. She was only around 115 pounds, Troy was athletic, over 200 pounds. At this point, we didn't think there's any way that she could have put that body in that trunk. So we had to start looking at the people that were closest to her. Another possible suspect that came up was a boyfriend
2: of Terry's. Investigators have yeah. to wonder did Terry's boyfriend find out she was still carrying a torch for Troy?
8: Sign up for your trial today at noom.com. That's n o o m.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living, available to buy now wherever books are sold.
2: 3 weeks after the vicious murder of Troy Timark, The residents of Lebanon are still haunted by the grisly crime. Reporter Deb Dixon continues to voice the concerns of the community
4: in her nightly newscast. Was he alive when they set the car on fire? There were so many disturbing questions. It was a horrible visual to imagine what had happened and that people really did do that. Detective Worley has
2: given Troy's ex-girlfriend, Terry, a clean bill of health but believes Terry's boyfriend, Steve Heimbach, may have a motive to hurt Troy. We
6: didn't know if Terry's new boyfriend could have a jealousy issue.
2: Investigators suspect Heimbach knew about Terry's secret rendezvous with Troy and track him down at his residence on the outskirts of town. He was forthcoming with us. Police confirm Heimbach's rock-solid alibi. He was at his house the night of the murder, working on his sister's car. We thought we had to eliminate him as a suspect as well. Worley finds himself over 3 with the suspect lineup. And when investigations falter, he kicks it into low gear at the nearest dojo. I run a local uh, Muay Thai kickboxing class at uh, our YMCA. It's a place you can go to kick the aggravation of an exhausting investigation.
6: It's really high-impact cardiovascular. It's fun. And it's a, just a great way to get the stress out,
2: you know, when you've had some pretty, pretty challenging days. And the challenging days have just begun in the Tamar investigation. Back at the police department, Detective Worley shows no mercy, and he quickly takes aim at Terry Clendenen's brother, Eric Horline.
6: We thought Terry and Eric having a fairly close relationship. We didn't know if her brother could have done something
2: to Troy. Police question Eric Horlock to see what he knows about the death of Troy Timar.
6: We made several attempts to talk to Eric. We didn't have enough to really bring him in. He basically kind of fell by the wayside, if you will, as far as being uh, involved in it.
2: Detectives speak to Eric's employers, who verify his alibi. Eric might be an overprotective brother, but doesn't seem like a killer we were able to eliminate him as a possible suspect as well. Troy's busy social life uncovers many possible suspects, but all of them provide credible alibis and pass polygraphs. And with no DNA at the scene to compare to the perps, their investigation grinds to a halt.
6: It's frustrating to see a case hang around that long, especially a homicide.
2: For Troy's mom, Donna, it's distressing news.
7: I was looking for answers. It's very frustrating to know that there is somebody out that killed killed my son.
2: Nine months after Troy Timar's death, his brutal murder remains unsolved.
6: We would ran out of leads. We didn't have a whole lot else to go on. We don't like to leave any case unsolved, especially a homicide. You've got family involved, and they're entitled to the closure. So it did... It did eat at the investigators.
2: The t case goes cold for five long years. The case was routinely
6: looked at for new leads to possibly develop until we were able to finally get enough evidence.
2: Then, the arrival of Detective John Newsom to the Warren County Sheriff's Office in 2001 jumpstarts the investigation. I came from a homicide background in Cincinnati Police Division. A 30-year veteran of the force, Detective Newsom is a thorough investigator with a penchant for solving cold cases. And after I was here a year or so, the former
5: sheriff came to me and he says, you know, I'd really like to tap in to your background as an investigator, and specifically as a homicide investigator, and um, look at a, a couple of cold cases that were never solved. And it started with the uh, Troy Timar
2: homicide. And after familiarizing himself with the files, Detective Newsom has a good feeling about this one. Well, after I read the case, I really felt the case was
5: solvable. Uh, there are solvability factors in this case. Uh, I don't think were exploited in the first investigation.
2: First up, Detective Newsom wants to learn as much as he can about Troy Timar. I had to bring Troy back to life. I never got to meet him.
5: So you had to give a face to him. And you had to get a personality and who he was to try to understand what may led him to that point on July 4th, 1999, when he got killed. So you do that with talking to friends and family.
2: But after speaking with those closest to Troy, Newsom's no closer to burying this case than the original investigators. Athletic,
5: gregarious, uh, hard worker, and pretty interesting guy. Ladies' man loved his family, uh, cherished his relationships with his friends. It was hard to find somebody that really didn't like Troy.
2: Detective Newsom makes a promise to Troy's mom. Donna,
5: I'm gonna look at this, I'm gonna put my heart and soul into it, and I'm gonna try to solve this
2: case. I'm just not gonna give it lip service, I'm trying to solve this case. And after thoroughly reviewing the details of the crime scene, Detective Newsom starts to get a picture of what might have happened the night Troy was killed. They found the keys and the key fob from the car
5: at different locations, uh, which indicated to me and in in my experience, there was probably a struggle or possibly a struggle over the keys where somebody pulls the keys, somebody pulls the key fob and they separate. And if you've got a struggle over the keys,
2: that's probably not a stranger. That's probably someone you know. And Detective Newsom has a short list of persons of interest that have come to light since the original investigation in 1999. The first is a man named Jake Whitney, whom Troy worked for before he started his own company. Troy looked like he didn't leave there under very good terms. Whitney is surprised to see police at his
5: doorstep, but chats with the detectives anyway. The owner of the construction company thought a lot of Troy and didn't want Troy to leave, and uh, just was kind of resistant to that. But it turned out to be, at the end, uh, an amicable split. And he was eliminated as a suspect. It's a setback,
2: but far from a crushing blow. Newsom's other area of interest is Troy's extracurricular love life. The local Romeo was quite the charmer of women, both single and attached.
5: One of the areas that I had to look into Uh, One of those dark corners you get into when you look into people's lives, Troy was having an affair with a
2: married woman, uh, Mary Jobs, in the months preceding his death. It seems while remodeling Mrs. Jobs' home, Troy serviced his client in more ways than one. The two had a torrid three-month affair. It's a troubling detail, and detectives have to wonder, did the betrayed husband extinguish the flames of passion by striking back
3: at Troy? Troy?
2: Even though it's been five years, the murder of Troy Timar leaves a gaping wound in the lives of the citizens of Lebanon. Veteran reporter Deb Dixon
4: continues to do her part in keeping Troy's memory and the investigation alive. Every time there could be a story about Troy, there was a story about Troy, so that his killer would know that... No one had forgotten, and no one was going to to let this go.
2: Especially not
5: cold case detective John Newsom. My experience in the case told me this case can be solved. It just needed a different direction and a fresh look. And
2: I couldn't ignore anything. Specifically, an extramarital affair that Troy had with a woman named Mary Jobs. Everyone knows that infidelity is a strong motive for murder, so Detective Newsom questions Mary's husband, David. Mr. Jobs has a strong alibi. He and his wife were out camping with friends. Detective Newsom scratches the latest name off the suspects list, leaving the investigation at fourth down and long. When investigations hit a roadblock, Detective Newsome changes up the pace with a trip to the gridiron.
5: I've been a football official for a number of years. Uh, It's um, kind of fun being
2: on a football field. And sometimes officiating a game can be more stressful than solving a homicide. If you miss a call, there's coaches' jobs. There's big scholarships
5: on the line for these kids. It's uh, a challenge to get it right. We
2: always have coaches say, I'm going to look at that on film. I'm going to call you. I've never been called. Luckily, Detective Newsom is just as thorough off the field as on. And after clearing the latest suspects in the Timar homicide, one name keeps popping up more than a star quarterback's at a playoff game. Troy's ex, Terry Clendenon. You
5: could not shake Terry as a suspect. She is the last one on July 3rd to see him alive. By her own admission, likely she was the last one, except for the killers, to see him alive. So I knew I had a picture of a woman
2: who was now my strongest suspect. Police locate Terry living in the burbs of Cincinnati with a new husband and invite her to spend some time in the interview room. Taken aback by the police presence at her doorstep, Terry nonetheless accompanies detectives to the police station. Terry is sweet as apple pie and doesn't miss a beat when asked to reminisce about the night of July 3rd, 1999. She said she got picked up somewhere between 10
5: and 10.30. From there... She said they drove down to Lunken Airport on the eastern side of Cincinnati and sat and talked for a while. And from Lunken Airport, they drove to French Park in uh, Amberley Village and uh, talked and sat in the park for quite a while. And
2: then drove home from there. According to Terry, Troy dropped her off at home at midnight, where she stayed for the rest of the evening. Something about the detail in which Terry tells her tale strikes Detective Newsom as nothing short of amazing. Her account that she gave, she stuck with. She'd gone
5: down that road and she was going to ride that horse as long as she could about that alibi.
2: But Newsom knows something Terry doesn't. In 1999, police interviewed a local woman who was teaching her daughter the do's and don'ts of nighttime driving on Mason Morrow Milgrove Road. They were switching drivers. They heard a male voice say, help me, please help me. The cries for help were heard between 10.15 and 11.30 p.m. the night Troy was murdered, at the exact time Terry said she was with Troy. That woman was very upset that she thought
5: she could have helped somebody and didn't, and still is to this day. Newsom doesn't let Terry walk away
2: without a parting salvo. The
5: last thing I told her, I said, Terry, I'm going to get
2: you for this. Rest assured, I'm gonna get you. A closer look at Terry's father's statement from the original report brings the events of the night into clearer focus. Her father remembered the timeline a little bit more specifically,
5: that he was definitely watching something on television that was on between 11 and midnight and was downstairs when Terry came home, which would have put him before 11.30. A critical detail in determining if Terry's alibi was legit. So if she's leaving between 10 and 10.30 and home before 11.30, extrapolating times, she was gone no more than about an hour and 15 minutes. These times didn't make
2: sense to me. The local detective knows Terry's detailed claim that she and Troy went to multiple destinations in the span of one hour is not possible. So why the elaborate alibi? So, I did
5: a time motion study, beginning with a stopwatch and a clipboard from her parents' house on the night of July
2: 3rd, so I could recreate traffic conditions. Detective Newsom wants to put Terry at the crime scene and not the many other places she claimed to be. I timed
5: the various routes, actually, three different routes, from her parents' house to Lunkin Airport, and then from Lunken Airport to French Park, and then French Park back to her parents' house. And if you sat and gave her the benefit of the doubt, let's say they talked 15 to 20 minutes in both places, and then going to French Park and walking the path through the woods with drive time, the uh, quickest that could have been done was about two and a half hours. So her timeline was just blown out of the water. It couldn't exist. However going from her house up to the crime scene and back, and could have been done very quickly. So you're talking 15 minutes at the outside to the crime scene and 15 minutes back is only a half an hour drive time, and she's home in an hour and 15. You've got 45 minutes in there, which are basically the time that she easily could have gotten Troy there, shot him.
2: Police are convinced that Terry killed Troy. But a few questions still plague the investigation. Is it possible that Terry shot Troy during their date, then returned to the scene hours later to torch the evidence? The call came out
5: to the fire department about 10 after 4 in the morning. Troy was dead before the fire started.
2: And how did the petite Terry get Troy's body into the trunk of the
5: car? She was frail. She wasn't very big. Troy's dead Weighted 190 pounds, picking him up. There's no physical way she could have lifted that body and
2: put it in the trunk. Luckily, what Detective Newsom learns next might be the answer to both of those questions and a motive to boot. Terry did not handle rejection well. That was kind of a recurring theme in her life. And when Newsom takes a harder look at Terry's past, it turns out that Troy may not have been the only object of her obsessive behavior. She was living with
5: A young man he realized after a short period of time that it was uh, not going to work out because she was by his description out of her head and so they decided to cool it she said yeah you're probably right we're not getting along in the middle of the night three o'clock or so in the morning he wakes up and there's a guy standing over him with a hatchet and he catches the hatchet between his fingers as it's coming down
2: towards his arm and it almost cuts part of his hand off. The boyfriend escaped with his life while his attacker was arrested and sent to prison. The Axeman later claimed that Terry put him up to it. She met me, you know, at the
5: front door that night, gave me the hatchet and led me to where he was sleeping on the mattress. And he said, she could just give you attention and make you feel like you're top of the world. The story
2: takes police by surprise. Not only does their top suspect have a shaky alibi, she has a history of violence. If her past is any indication, Terry may have resorted to her favored way of striking back at Troy, hiring an accomplice. We felt we had to find out who her
5: co-suspect would have been, who helped her with this.
2: Six years after the murder of Troy Timar, Warren County's finest are finally closing in on the killer. Police are convinced that Troy's ex, Terry Clendenen, killed him in a jealous rage and had an accomplice to help her cover up the crime. Terry was a good-looking woman and had the power of manipulation over people. But who would be so enamored of Terry that they would do her evil bidding in 1999? Detective John Newsom sets his sights on the man closest to Terry at the time, her boyfriend, Steve Heimbach.
5: Well, Steve and Terry had been going out over a period of months. So we thought that Steve may... Or he may not kill Troy, maybe helped her with it. Detective
2: Newsom decides to bring Heimbach in for questioning. And despite a local address, it's suspiciously hard to track the hard-working mechanic down. He was
5: kind of elusive, did not want to talk to me at first. So he actually piqued my curiosity to the point where I was showing up on his door and knocking on his door and saying, you know, sooner or later, you need to talk to me or I will take other measures to get, you know, force you to talk. But before push
2: comes to shove... Heimbach agrees to an interview with Detective Newsom. Heimbach's annoyed and sticks to his earlier story of being at home, working on his sister's car when the murder occurred. He had a decent alibi
5: for the night of Troy's murder. Not a, a airtight, but pretty good, uh, one that uh, was very plausible in my mind. We were able to confirm that, yes, he had to work on his
2: sister's car. Yes, it had been worked on. And to be absolutely certain he isn't lying, police asked Heimbach to put his money where his mouth is. And he passed a polygraph
5: that what he was telling us was true. So there was no reason to think he was involved. So I felt relatively secure that that part of the investigation was off the
2: table. Having eliminated Terry's ex-boyfriend, detectives turn their attention to the only other accomplice they think Terry could have manipulated at the time. The person
5: who was still strongly on the radar was her brother, Eric Horline. Terry was, is an intelligent young woman, and she was, by all indications,
2: able to influence Eric in various areas. The earlier investigation had verified Eric Horline's alibi. He was at work around midnight on the night of the murder. But Detective Newsom is now armed with a timeline and is itching to have another go at Eric. Ever since Troy Timar's murder, Eric's life has been in shambles. He had trouble with marriages and kids and finances. And numerous run-ins with the law.
5: Terry's brother Eric had been convicted of grand theft and then some time in jail. I was able to contact the probation officer and find out when he visited the probation officer. When I found out when he was going to be for his next visit, I went with a prosecutor's investigator to that location. Caught off guard, Eric Horline agrees to speak with Detective Newsom. Body language showed me he was pretty fluid early in the interview. When we started talking about Troy's death, and then he started closing up a little bit. Detective Newsom eases off a bit. This is where the case gets hot. I looked at him, and I said, your life has not been the same, and it's not been right since this happened, has it? It's been turmoil. You need to to let this go. And he said, give me a minute. need a minute. And he put his hands down on his knees, and he looked between his legs, and I knew that I was going to get the story. I was very confident at that point he was going to tell me the truth. And I reached in, I touched him on his shoulder, and he looked up and said... I didn't shoot him.
2: Eric spills the beans about his role in Troy Timar's murder. He laid out his involvement with Terry that night. As the story goes, Eric was at work when Terry called him around 11 p.m., needing a ride home. When he arrived at the scene, Troy was dead. He told me where it was. He told me how the
5: car was parked. He told me how Troy was laying in the grass. Detective Newsom asks Eric where he thinks Terry might have got the gun. He says, uh, about a few months before the murder, I was helping a friend move, and he had a gun, and he never used it, and I figured he wouldn't be missing it, so I took it. And he says, it was a Glock 40 caliber. And she said she wanted a gun. She wanted to scare somebody.
2: The bullet shells found at the scene came from a Glock 40 caliber gun. According to Eric, Terry disposed of the gun in a gas station dumpster near the crime scene six years prior. Eric Horline is arrested and charged with tampering with evidence and abuse of a corpse.
4: Eric is the one who just did what he was told and did what he was asked to do. And when confronted by a story that didn't make sense, he isn't dark enough inside to keep the lie going. He needed Terry to do that.
2: Police locate Terry at her home and arrest her for
5: aggravated murder. When she walked in the door of the jail, I was at the desk... And she looked at me, and I said, I told you I was going to get you, and I got you. I called Donna later that night, and I remember saying, Donna, we got her.
7: And then I just hollered, they made arrest, they arrested her. And I said, John, I feel like I've had so much weight lifted off, and I don't even know if I told him I loved him, but I did.
2: In spite of the undeniable evidence against her,
7: Terry
4: seems unperturbed and maintains her innocence during the trial. Terry's statement in court was, I'm sorry, if I did this, I don't remember. And I have mental problems. But the gruesome facts of the vicious murder still come to light. Terry couldn't stand when the good-looking, popular guy didn't want to have anything to do with her anymore. If I can't have you, nobody can. I believe that's why Terry killed Troy. And she put her plan into action on the night of July 3rd,
2: 1999. I think she called him and threatened suicide
5: or something had to get him out of the house that night.
6: Troy picks her up. They go out. They go to... Mason Morrow Road, outside
2: of South Lebanon. Troy and Terry get in an argument like so many times before. Only this time, Terry has a gun. I think she surprised him with it, was standing outside his door when he got out. Troy was shot as he was getting out of the car. With no one else to turn to, Terry calls her brother, Eric, at work. It
5: was somewhat frantic that she and Troy had gotten into a fight and an, an argument, and she shot
2: Troy. Eric picks up Terry from the crime scene and takes her home around 11.30 p.m. to establish her alibi. The two return to the crime scene between 3 and 4 a.m. with gasoline.
6: They put the body in the trunk, douse the car with gasoline, make a trail to the driveway, set it on fire,
2: and leave. On October 26, 2006, Terry clendenin Voss is found guilty for the first-degree murder of Troy Timar.
4: She has spent a whole life using people and manipulating people and pretending and lying and getting away with it. She is an empty soul that did a very
7: evil thing.
4: But at
2: the sentencing, Troy's mother has an unusual request.
7: And I said, I just want to look into your eyes, the eyes that my son fell in love with, the eyes that shared our family gatherings. I want to look at the eyes that killed my son and watched him die. Terry Voss is
2: sentenced to life in prison with a possibility of parole in 30 years. In a separate trial, Eric Horline pleads guilty to the charge of abuse of a corpse and is
4: sentenced to five years in prison. I don't think Terry loved Eric. I think she used him and used him in the ultimate, evilest, darkest way for
2: murder. Troy may be gone, But the residents of his town keep his memory alive.
7: Through Troy's death, we've been blessed with so many things. Trees have been planted in his name. There's bricks at the high school, bricks at our local church. Of course, I have two grandchildren that are named after their Uncle Troy. The
2: citizens of Lebanon, Ohio resume their daily lives and are thankful that their town is safe again.